Hey there everybody, you're listening to The Raven's Grove. I'm your host, Dahi, and today we're going to be delving once more into the world of music. More specifically, we're going to be actually talking about the history and evolution and one of the most divisive, controversial, and in my opinion, most enjoyable genres of music, metal. Now this may seem familiar to you if you're a long time listener to the podcast, but that's because this is a revised, re-recorded version and one of the earliest episodes I ever did on this podcast. I figured it was time to dust off the cobwebs, give it a bit of new life, and to change and add some things I may have forgotten the first time around. I mean, I only just started out when I did the first one, so yeah, and um, I can't believe I'm now on episode 73, and I have everyone to thank for it. So thank you for listening. You guys make it all worthwhile. Now, before we go any further, this episode of The Raven's Grove features the following trigger warnings. We've got occult mentions, arson mentions, and murder mentions. So if any of those are in any way an issue for you, please give this episode a miss. Alright, now that's out of the way, let's get the show on the road. Now, I'm a proud metalhead. I grew up listening to classical music, world music, jazz music, and blues music, and I only really started to dip my toes into the metal world when I was in my teenage years. I started off by listening to stuff like Metallica, Nirvana, Ramstein, Linkin Park, ACDC, and more, but at the time, I was completely unaware that the bands I was a fan of were in fact metal bands. When I was 15, I got into the Guitar Hero franchise of video games and started to listen to many of my favorite songs from Guitar Hero 3 outside of playing the game, such as, but not limited to, LaGrange by ZZ Top, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, Even Flow by Pearl Jam, Barracuda by Heart, Through the Fire and the Flames by Dragon Force, and many, many more. When I was in my early 20s, in the early 2010s, I got into classic rock, stuff like Creedence Clearwater Revival, The Rolling Stones, The Animals, The Doors, and of course the incomparable Jimi Hendrix, but it wasn't until 2016 when my life and music tastes, well, they changed forever. See, at the time, I was in my final year of my degree at uni, I was doing an anthropology as an elective, and I was taking an anthropology class called Anthropology of Pop Culture. Now, my own personal feelings about that class aside, there was one memorable lecture where we got to watch a documentary called Metal A Headbanger's Journey instead of the usual lecture. This documentary looked at the metal genre and subculture from an anthropological point of view, and it detailed the history of metal as a genre of music and as a subculture. And I'm just sitting there in the lecture theater watching that absolutely incredible documentary, just dumbfounded to realize that most of the bands I listened to on a daily basis were in fact metal bands. So... Honestly, I would highly recommend the documentary to anyone who wants to learn about metal music as a whole. It's an incredibly well-done documentary. They got interviews with some of the biggest names, like they got Lemmy, they got Dio, they've got Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. They've got some of the biggest names in metal were involved in that documentary. It's incredible. Now, after that, I started to, after the incident with the lecture, I started to explore the world of metal a little bit more intensely. And at the end of the year, I I graduated from uni, I got my degree, I was catching up with a good friend of mine in the city, and I mentioned that I wanted to get more into metal music and culture, but I didn't know where to start. This friend of mine was a big metalhead, and they introduced me to Viking metal bands like Inciferum, Torresas, and Tyr, and, well, that started an avalanche. I went, started hanging out at my local metal music shop, and no, I'm not going to tell you where, but shout out to the guys at Old Cult, they are amazing. And, um, yeah, I just, I started uh, basically just listening to metal music, I got some great advice from some people I trusted, and I've been a metal fan since that fateful day in 2016. That's my own personal story with metal as a genre of music. But how did rock music, and by extension metal, actually come to be? 
Well, the origins of rock and metal music in terms of influence and tone can actually be traced back to the Middle Ages, when the so-called Devil's Tritone was banned from being played in music by the church. One of the most famous pieces of classical music, and a very firm personal favorite piece of mine, Danse Macabre by Camille Saint-Saëns, is notorious for using the Devil's Tritone in its opening, which in my opinion grants it a very eerie sound. And that's for good reason. I mean, Dos Macabre is literally about the devil on Halloween night going to a graveyard, playing his violin, and all the skeletons in the graves, they get up and have this big dance party. It is an amazingly creepy, but absolutely beautiful piece of music. It's got violin in it as like the main instrument. And honestly, it's one of my favorite pieces. Like There is actually a really great cover of it on YouTube that's done with electric guitar. It's absolutely incredible to look up. So if you aren't interested in it, look at D-A-N-S-E space M-A-C-A-B-R-E. Now it's by Camille Sansin. Do not listen to the one from Ghost. That is not the cover I'm talking about. Listen to the one by Camille Sansin. He's a French composer. And then type in Dance Macabre Metal into YouTube and you'll see what I'm talking about. However, getting back on topic, the true origins of rock and metal are actually found in the blues and jazz music of the 1910s and 1940s. See, these genres of music had their beginnings in the African-American community of the USA in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and I'll be honest, to this day, I still listen to blues, jazz, and neo-swing bands like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Royal Crown Review to relax. In particular, artists like Muddy Waters, B.B. King, and especially Robert Johnson revolutionized how people play the blues. Johnson is actually a particular note here as he is listed not just as an inspiration for many of the greatest guitarists of the 20th and 21st centuries, he's also the first to bring the whole I sold my soul to the devil vibe into blues music and by extension metal. He also is considered to be one of the family members of the 27 Club. Now if you don't know what that is, the 27 Club is an informal club of artists and musicians who have died at the age of 27, often tragically. There are quite a few members like um, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain. They were all members of the 27 Club, and Johnson is considered to be one of the first in recorded history. And that's really ironic because he, we know very little about him. I've actually done a topic, I've done an episode on Johnson in the past. So yeah, I hope you guys like it. Give it a listen. It's called uh, Devil's Music. Anyways, it wasn't until the 1950s that rock music was actually properly born. And that is due to the creation of an instrument that has become instantly synonymous with rock and metal music as a whole, the electric guitar. Now, guitars as an instrument have been around for centuries and can trace their origins back to the lute in medieval and the oud in Middle Eastern society, but according to Guitar World magazine, the first fully functioning solid body electric guitar to be manufactured and sold is the Ropat-In Electro A25 frying pan. Made in 1932 by a company now known as Rickenbacker Guitars. That's the first electric guitar ever made, but it's not the one that birthed the genre of rock music. That guitar is one that most people will recognize on site, even if they don't know by name. It's one of the it's one that is the current emoji for guitar on the iOS Apple devices. If you haven't already guessed it, it is the iconic Fender Stratocaster. Now, before we get to the Strat, I should point out something very clearly. In the world of electric guitars, there are two main cams. You've got Fender on one side and Gibson on the other side. Now, both of these guitar companies make exceptional guitars. I'm not bagging them out, but the rivalry between them is very, very similar to the rivalry between famous sports teams or car manufacturers. These guys have very dedicated fans, and they have often 
and had arguments that have almost come to blows. Now, for my money, I think both companies make a lot of guitar- uh, amazing guitars, but they're each good for different styles of playing in music. See, generally speaking, Fenders are great for rock, blues, country and western, that kind of stuff. They use single coil pickups. Whereas a, a Gibson, they're usually good for stuff like rock, metal, punk, that kind of thing, because they use humbucker pickups. Now, that's not saying that Fender doesn't use humbuckers occasionally. I myself actually own a HSS strap, which has got one humbucker and two single coils. But the point is that, generally speaking, Fender Stratocasters and Fender Telecasters and all the other Fenders that you would normally find in a self-respecting musician's library don't generally have humbuckers. I'm not saying that all of them do. Like some, like Kirkman famously used humbuckers on quite a few of his guitars. But the point is that most of the time, if you're getting a humbucker on a Fender, it's an aftermarket thing. So that that being said, I mean, Hendrix showed us that you can make amazing sounds with a Stratocaster with just regular you know, single core pickups. So like I said, if you want to, let's put it this way. If you're just starting your guitar playing journey and you're looking for your first electric guitar and you want to sound a certain way, listen, look up what your favorite musicians play. Then listen to those songs and think to yourself, do you want to try and replicate that sound? And if so, try and get a guitar that is either similar in terms of pickup and general design or if you can afford it, identical. So for instance, like, a Les Paul, a Gibson Les Paul, is used by someone like Jimmy Page. So if you are listening to something like, say, Immigrant Song or Stairway to Heaven, you're better off playing that with a Les Paul than you are with a Stratocaster. Whereas if you're trying to play All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix, you're better off playing with a Strat than with a Les Paul. See what I mean? The point is that the Fender Telecaster was the first mass-produced solar body electric guitar, and that was released in 1951. If you're after a good example of what a telecaster sounds like i would advise watching the film crossroads eugene marcone aka lightning boy from that film he uses a telecaster and i'm not bagging out telecasters they are amazing instruments like uh, keith richards from uh, the uh from uh, rolling stones keith urban the uh the country and western singer he they both use telecasters to great effects telecasters are amazing instruments but they're not the big one that I personally prefer. I prefer the second model that was ever released. That was a Gibson Les Paul. That was a flagship model Gibson uh, guitar, and it's a direct competitor of the Telecaster and the Stratocaster. The Les Paul was released a year later in 1952. Now, that, for me, is my personal favorite guitar of all time. I love the Les Paul to bits. The Fender Stratocaster was released in 1954 and was immediately a smash here among players. So, already, you've got three of the most iconic designs of all time. And then by the time you get into the late 50s, early 60s, you start getting Gibson doing some weird stuff. Like, they first introduced the Gibson SG, and then you've got the Flying V, and the Explorer, and the Thunderbird, and just all that kind of crazy stuff that is amazingly popular with musicians. But at the time, everyone's going, what the heck's this type of stuff? Anyways, so the new form of musical instrument of electric guitar was directly responsible for the creation of rock and roll music in the 1950s, with artists like Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, many others use these guitars. But the big change in music, tonally from rock and roll to what's considered classic rock or even proto-metal, came about in the 1960s. Now, I'll admit, I am not a Beatles fan. 
I do not like them. I do not like their music. I do not like the people involved in the band. I do not like the Beatles. I actively despise their music. But And anyone who knows me will tell you the same thing. But as much as I hate to admit it, when the Beatles arrived in the early 60s, they revolutionized music, forever changing the format of rock and pop music. Clapton, Eric Clapton, one of the greatest guitar players of all time, helped things along with his epic tracks like Layla and Sunshine for Your Love when he was in Cream, both of which are amazingly fun songs to play on the guitar. And when Jimi Hendrix came along and pretty much reinvented how people thought about playing the guitar, the entire world was hooked on classic rock. However, in my opinion, the first metal band would have to be either Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath. Now, these bands are hugely influential in their ways of playing guitar, with the vast majority of modern rock and metal guitar playing techniques being at least partly based on Black Sabbath's lead guitarist Tony Iommi's playing style. I've done episodes of Random Fact Ups on the Music Edition as to why Iommi's playing style is so iconic, but the short version is he lost the first two digits of his ring and middle finger on his fretting hand in an accident before he became a musician, and he uses power chords a lot because of that. Add in the fact that Black Sabbath makes heavy use of the Devil's Tritone in their song Black Sabbath from the album of the same name, and you have the birth of heavy metal as a genre of music. The term heavy metal, incidentally, actually comes from the Steppenwolf song Born to be Wild. It's called Heavy Metal Thunder is a line in that song. So that's officially where the name comes from, but if we're talking the style, Sabbath invented it. That being said, Jimmy Page, a guitarist from Led Zeppelin, is often ranked as one of the best guitarists to ever play the instrument, and rightly so. I mean, honestly, Jimmy Page is an incredible guitarist. Seriously, he's, he's a virtuoso. Now, my opinion is that Zepp is technically it's proto-metal, in the sense that they help form it, but they can't be considered to be, for want of a better term, true metal. Now, that's not bagging out Zeppelin, mind. They have well earned their reputation as the, one of the greatest rock bands ever, and their influence is still being felt in music to this day. Seriously, every single um, person who's seen Thor Ragnarok has heard a Led Zeppelin song. Every single person who's heard Stairway to Heaven or, or has heard Black Dog or Heartbreaker, they all come from Led Zeppelin. And honestly, Zepp is one of my favorite bands. I actually own a Zepp t-shirt like off my birthday earlier this year. They're one of my favorite bands. They're some of my favorite songs to play on the guitar. Nowadays, there are many, many different subgenres of metal. As I said earlier, Black Sabbath is considered by many to be the first metal band, which is often earned at the title of original metal or proto-metal. However, the term that most people use to describe metal as a genre, which is heavy metal, is actually its own subgenre. Heavy metal, otherwise known as traditional heavy metal, has substantial influences from blues music with a very heavy distorted tone. But the thing, the funny thing is, compared to a lot of modern metal subgenres, traditional heavy metal is actually the probably the lightest and easiest for the beginner to listen to. Some tr- trad heavy metal bands include early Judas Priest, Blue Oyster Cult, Alice Cooper, Steppenwolf, and many more. But the uh, the genre as a whole is considered to have been by many to have been spawned in 1970 with the releases of two Black Sabbath albums, Black Sabbath's self-titled album, Black Sabbath, and Paranoid. Honestly, if I was picking, recommending an album and an artist for someone to start their musical, their metal journey with, I'd pick Black Sabbath and Paranoid. This Paranoid's got some of Sabbath's best-known tracks, including Iron Man, Paranoid, and my all-time favorite Sabbath song, War Pigs. Geezer Butler's lyrics shine on every song in the album, and Tony Iommi's riff writing stands alone as some of the most iconic riffs in all the metal. 
It's not for nothing that most guitar players start out learning, uh, who are starting out, they learn Ironman early in their career, musical careers as an exercise in power chords and in timing. For me personally, it was the second song I actually learned in an actual lesson in my guitar playing journey. And to this day, it's an amazing song, fun song to play. Incidentally, Iron Man is actually the direct inspiration for the Marvel superhero. Yeah, look it up. It's true. Tony Iommi's song and Black Sabbath's song was the literal inspiration for Stanley to create the character of Iron Man. And to this day, like in the in the Marvel movies, Tony Stark is actually an, a Sabbath metalhead. He does actually wear a Black Sabbath t-shirt in quite a few of his scenes. Now, the next big shift in metal came about in the late 70s and early 80s and changed the tone from traditional heavy metal to what is known as the new wave of British heavy metal. Now, some famous new wave bands include, but are not limited to, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Motorhead, Dio. They're some of the big ones. New wave revitalized the metal genre and is often created with saving the genre as a whole because a ton of acts had come along and they were basically copying Black Sabbath and the genre was slowly losing seems New wave pumped new life into it, pumped new energy into it, gave it a new sound and it really saved metal as a whole. The main influences in New Wave are a combination of traditional heavy metal and punk rock, with common elements being often twin guitar harmonies, a fast-paced sound, operatic vocals, and an emphasis on a common look. Long hair, denim and all leather jackets and vests, spikes, studs, patches, pins, and outright rejection of the mainstream are all iconic and essential elements in New Wave. If you're after what that might look like, look up. If you've seen Stranger Things Season 4, Eddie Munson is a classic example of what an old-school metalhead from the 80s would look like. And to be honest, he's one of the best examples of that I've ever seen because they don't play metal off as just a thing he's interested in. It's his whole life. But they also show him as being a genuinely intelligent, compassionate, and thoughtful character. And for me, that's a big deal because a lot of metalheads are stereotyped as being these violent, brain-dead thugs, and yet that's not the case. It really is not the case. Like, the vast majority of metalheads you you meet uh, have got some of the nicest personalities in, all, in the entire music fandom. We've got a lot more intellectual stuff than we that a lot of people give metalheads credit for. And metalheads often have got very diverse taste in music. So yeah, Amy Munson did a lot of good for metalheads as a whole. Now, one of the main offshoots of new wave of British heavy metal is the subgenre of thrash metal. Thrash metal is characterized by very fast riffs on the guitar with a, quote, slightly manic, end quote, tenor vocals, to quote, guitar.com.co.au. Now, most of you folks who listen to this would probably have heard of Metallica, even if you haven't listened to this music, right? Well, Metallica is considered one of the big, so-called big four in metal music, with the others being Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. Most metalheads will favor at least one of these bands at some point in their history of listening to metal music, but be warned, the rivalry between Metallica fans and Megadeth fans is one of the longest-running and most bitter rivalries in metal as a subculture. For my part, I prefer Metallica, but I also have been known to enjoy some metal Megadeth songs occasionally. If you're a Megadeth fan, that's cool with me. I, I'm no disrespect. Dave Mustaine is an amazing guitarist, but personally, I prefer Metallica. It's all good. Now, moving on. One of the most misunderstood and most infamous genres of metal is death metal. Death metal takes basically takes the traits of thrash metal, the very little fast tight riffs on the guitar, the manic tenor vocals, etc., and then makes it heavier, tunes it lower, and adds more emphasis on the drums. 
In addition, the vocals in death metal are completely different to the vocals in thrash. Death metal features the appropriately named death growls, which are low, guttural, and almost entirely incomprehensible vocal stylings where suitably monstrous. The subject matter of death metal is often based on horror, gloom, and darkness, as you might expect. And some of the most famous bands in death metal are Amonimath, though to be fair, Amonimath are more accurate than Melodic Death, the fictional band Death Clock, which are, to this day, hold the world record for the most best-selling death metal album of all time. you got Campbell Corpse, you got Entombed, Deicide, Death, The Black Dahlia Murder. There's tons of death metal bands. They're the ones that everyone associates with metal, but they're only one very small part, and while I'm not a huge fan of death metal, like I'll listen to a Monomath and I love Death Clock, it's a bit too heavy for me. To be honest, like I, generally speaking, well, you, I'll, I'll be telling you about my favorite genres in a bit, but let's just say that if you listen to Death Metal, that is entirely awesome. You do you. Seriously, you do you. You listen to whatever music you want to listen to, but just be aware that for a beginner, if you're just starting out in metal music, maybe work your way up to Death Metal. Now, in the 1980s, a genre of metal that many people are at least somewhat familiar with emerged. Glam metal. Sometimes called hair metal, glam metal is very nearly not a true genre of metal, given its very commercialized nature and pop rock styling, but its impact cannot be overstated if only for the fact that the grunge movement of the 1990s was born in, in rebellion to the excess of glam metal. To give you an idea what glam metal looks like, it looks, look up Guns N' Roses, Twisted Sister, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Aerosmith, and Kiss. Now, these are some of the most well-known glam metal bands, and while they may have fallen in our favor, they still have an extremely dedicated fan base. Like, seriously, don't ever bag out one of those bands to a fan's face. Now, I should mention that grunge music isn't actually considered for metal, as this is a unique style of music. It's technically alt-rock, if you want to be technical about it. Now, that being said, its impact on music and on metal is absolutely enormous. You see, Grunge was born in the late 1980s in the Seattle region of the US, with the, co- the focus being a conscious rejection of the excess ideals in glitz and glam of glam metal. Grunge musicians wore flannel shirts, ripped jeans, and simple harboring boots or sneakers like Converse's and Vans, often because these clothes were the only things that these musicians could afford to protect them against the cold and rain of Seattle. Grunge truly hit the public's perception in 1991 with the release of Nevermind by Nirvana, and in particular, the Nirvana song Smells Like Teen Spirit. This smash hit single-handedly killed glam metal's momentum dead and ushered in a new wave of alternative rock. Unfortunately, grunge as a genre came to an end in 1994 with the tragic death of Kurt Cobain, the frontman and guitarist for Nirvana. Grunge's spiritual successor, New Metal, spelled N-U Metal, is exemplified by bands like Linkin Park, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit, Korn, and Bring Me the Horizon, and features an alternative metal sound combined with hip-hop-style vocals. And now, it's time for one of my personal favorite genres of metal, power metal. Power metal arose virtually at the same time in the US and Europe, independently of each other, and while the two were eventually combined into one genre, there is a distinct difference between the two styles. As a general rule, power metal has what is known as clean vocals, meaning the listener can usually clearly understand the lyrics, as well as an emphasis on speed, such as fast guitar solos, and often, but not always, fantasy-based lyrics. The US strain of power metal has its roots in thrash metal, while the European variant has its origins in prog rock and prog metal. For a good analogy, if you're a fantasy fan, 
The US style is Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian, whereas the European style is J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. So, some of the most famous power metal bands are as follows. In the US style, to name but a few, we have Camelot, Man of War, Riot, Sabotage, and most brilliant recently, Jonathan Young. He's absolutely amazing. Check him out on YouTube. He's done covers of all kinds of stuff. He's brilliant. In the European style, we have Avantasia, Halloween, Powerwolf, Invader Mountains Rising Force, Nightwish, Dragon Force, Glory Hammer, and my all-time favorite metal band, Sabaton, and surprisingly enough, the late great actor and musician, Sir Christopher Lee. That's right, the man who, you heard me correctly, the man who, among his myriad roles, played Saruman in Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies, Lord Summerall in The Wicker Man, Scaramanga in The Man with the Golden Gun, and Count Dooku in the Star Wars films, released two power metal albums about the ancient king Charlemagne, the first one in 2010 at the age of 88, and the second one in 2013 at the age of 91. That is absolutely incredible. Seriously, look up Christopher Lee's lifestyle. He is... He's honestly the real-life most interesting man in the world. The guy was a legend. Now, if you want a more storytelling form of metal that's usually a bit more hardcore than power metal, I'd recommend taking a look at folk metal and its covers in Viking metal. Folk metal makes liberal use of traditional folk instruments to great effect. Instruments such as the hurdy-gurdy, the bagpipes, the bodhran drum, the tin whistle, and many other instruments often found in world music are very common. Folk music is based around telling a story, and a good deal of the songs are at least partly inspired by pagan beliefs, ancient mythology, or classic fantasy stories like Tolkien's works. As for Viking metal, in my experience, it's basically the same as folk metal in terms of feel and emphasis on telling a story, but is more Viking-focused. That being said, many bands that are grouped as Viking metal do not use this term to refer themselves. For example, Amon Amarth is very famous for having lyrics almost exclusively about uh, Viking mythology and culture, but they actively hate being called a Viking metal band. If this style's of metal in playlist you, then I'd recommend starting with The Who, spelled H-U. They're a Mongolian metal band. They're amazing. I'd, if, you're, if you like that stuff, I'd work your way up to stuff like Holkov, Lyre, or Lyre. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, but it's L-Y-R-R-E. Then you got stuff like Tyr, Turisas, Insiferum, and Amonomath for Viking metal, and Elvatai, which are a Celtic metal band from Switzerland. So give them a try if you're after that type of stuff. Now going further down the metal overhead rabbit hole, we come to Doom Metal. Stylistically speaking, Doom is almost the complete opposite of Thrash. Now what I mean by that? Well, Thrash Metal is characterized, like I said earlier, by very fast songs, very slightly manic vocals, to use that quote again. It's a fast-paced, very, very energetic style. Doom Metal, on the other hand, is characterized by very slow riffs, long drawn-out lyrics, and extremely down-tuned guitars. Often a doom metal song will go for at least up to f- at least five minutes, with songs up to or longer than ten minutes being actually quite common. Some famous doom metal bands and artists are Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, Candlemas, Kenneth Ungol, Armin Ra, and Pagan Alter. To be honest, I'm not a huge fan of doom metal. I like mine with uh, a little bit faster than that. But I will not deny, I love the album The Call of the Wretched Sea by the band Ahab, if only because Moby Dick's one of my favorite books. Now, the final genre of metal, the final subgenre of metal I'm actually going to talk about is perhaps the most iconic, most controversial, and most extreme form of metal: black metal. Black metal originated in Norway, Sweden, and Finland in the early 1980s, and is characterized by fast tempos, shrieked vocals, highly distorted guitars with tremolo picking, blast beat drumming, raw recording, and unconventional song structure. 
to quote Sam Dunn's documentary, The Metal of Headbangers Journey, which I mentioned earlier, its sound is raw, yet also epic and atmospheric, like punk rock meets Wagner dresses Alice Cooper. That's a direct quote, by the way. See, black metal is what most people envision when they think of metal music. The black and white corpse paint, the excessive spikes and studs, the satanic influences, all of these are quite common in black metal. But unfortunately, the black metal fandom has had more than its fair share of controversies. First, there were a spate of arson attacks on centuries-old wooden churches in Scandinavia in the 1990s, followed closely by the notorious murder of the band Mayhem's co-founder and guitarist Euronymous by his bandmate Varg Vikernes uh, in, uh, in August of 1993. Vikernes was convicted of first-degree murder, church arson, and ex- possession of explosives in May of 1994, and was sentenced to 21 years in prison, the maximum sentence in Norway. He was released on parole in 2009, but the damage to metal music's reputation, well, I already been done. The, in addition, there is a sizable amount of black metal bands that are either far-right-leaning or outright neo-Nazis. This, thankfully, is a very small majority in terms of the overall population of metal fans, but the label has unfortunately stuck. So, if you're looking at black metal bands, you've got stuff like Burzum, you know, Dimu Borgir, Immortal, Enthroned. And, uh, if you're after a fictional band, I recommend Belzebubs. They're pretty good. So, yeah, give, maybe work your way out to that. Like, I'm not normally a fan of black metal. Like, I really only listen to Bells and Bubs, yeah, and that's about it. So, yeah, work your way up to that one. Now, one last thing I'd like to mention. Please don't refer to metal music as screamo or say that it's just mindless noise. Metal is actually quite a very nuanced and varied style of music with one of the most devoted fan bases of any musical genre on the planet. And speaking as a metalhead... We really don't appreciate people making out metal music before they even try listening to it. So if I can leave you with just one request, folks, is this. Please don't judge us. And maybe give metal a try for yourselves. You might just find something you like. Anyway, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to Ravens Grove. I'm Indahi. You've been awesome. I'll talk to you in the next episode. See ya.